Matthew chapter 7, looking at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's kind of ironic. I mean, it makes sense in the, in the uh, context of this sermon. But within this sermon, it makes, it's interesting that the very last thing Jesus says in this discourse is let's talk about your foundation. Usually the foundation is the first thing you pour. Um, it's the first thing you do, you know, with the land as you're building something. But it makes sense as he, he re, um, well, we read it, he preaches it um, and presents it to those people there on that hillside. So looking at a proper foundation, Matthew seven twenty four through 29. All right, I'm so excited. This is my first time preaching with the larger TVs, so... I hope you guys are enjoying this. You can, shh, yeah, you can, you can thank COVID because we weren't able to spend money on youth activities. Um, I was able to spend money on upgrading the TVs in this room. So, all right. So Matthew chapter seven twenty four. Let's follow along. Let's follow along as I read aloud. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Heavenly Father, I ask that you bless the reading and the teaching of your word tonight, that it would be helpful to us as we uh, listen to what you have for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So just a reminder, as we hit the Sermon on the Mount one last time, I don't know how long it's been, but we're probably at like 20 sermons just in the Sermon on the Mount. It's all been about, it has all been about descriptions of kingdom citizens. Christ comes and he's presenting the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The book of Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. So his presenting the kingdom, Matthew's position of being here is the king. Matthew arranges his book in a summary of several different discourses or teaching sessions or lectures on what Jesus says to the people around him. So that's kind of how Matthew's been structuring it, telling you, here's what people who live in the kingdom of heaven look like. This is how they act. This is how they behave. This is how they think. All right. Last time we looked together at Matthew chapter 7, we saw what I referred to and what really they should be to you as the scariest words in Scripture. What are those scariest words in Scripture? Yeah, depart from me, I never knew you. If you look up just before chapter 7, verse 24, Christ says to those people, verse 22, and I will declare, 23, sorry, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those words are absolutely the scariest in all of Scripture. That the Son of God says to you, I have no idea who you are, even though he created you. All right, that's a serious reprimand that should absolutely awaken you. But then he closes out in this section of 24 to 26, and he tells a familiar story, these two foundations. And I'm sure by raised hand, I don't want you to open your mouth on this one because I know you'll, I'll lose you for 30 seconds. How many of you could sing 24 to 29 for me? 
you could sing a song that has all of those verses in it. Really? That few of you, huh? I thought for sh- Y'all don't know. Okay. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Now that I now that I said the first words because reading the passage wasn't enough for you to be like, "Oh." Yeah. We could do that some other time. All right. So now we're looking at these foundations. Hopefully some of you at least have that song stuck in your head because the song is basically the scripture. And there's motivation for it because Christ says, everyone then who hears these words of mine. Well, when we look at this passage and he opens up with, at least in this section, everyone then who hears these words, we have to ask ourselves, well, what are these words? When Christ says, everyone who hears these words of mine, what words is he referring to? You tell me. What are these words when Christ says, everyone who listens to these words? What words is he talking about? Okay, the ones that he just spoke, which ones would those be, Michael? Yeah, chapter 5 and 6 and 7. Most directly, it's the depart from me, I never knew you. But fully... It is everything he has said in the Sermon on the Mount, which includes, and think about how far back this goes, all right? Think about the last time we were talking about the Beatitudes. When Christ tells us the Beatitudes, blessed are those who do this, all right? Tells us about being salt and light. He talks to us about raising the bar on how we think about anger, lust, divorce, oath, retaliation. When he talked to us about loving our enemy, doing good to them that despitefully use you. Giving, prayer, fasting, all three of those were separate subjects that we discussed. He talked to us about laying up eternal rewards. He talked to us about judging appropriately. To give you an idea on how, I mean, judging appropriately, that was miles a week that I was gone in early July. All right, so we've been in this one sermon for a very long time. Then Jesus talked to us about our requests, saying, well, if you ask these things of your earthly fathers and they give it to you, how much more will your heavenly father? Then he talked to us about our treatment of others and how we use the golden rule. Then he talked to us about bearing good fruit. We looked at the two different types of trees. Then we looked last time we were in Matthew at the people that are known by Christ. So all of this is what needs to be running through your brain when Jesus says, whoever then or everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is compared to a wise man, or is like a wise man. You're like a wise man if you're going to do this. Because that wise man who heard all of this built his house on the rock, and the rains came tumbling down, right? The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and it beat on the house, but it, being the house, did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. And then he says, But everyone who hears, same qualifier of the other people. Everyone who hears, but then does not do them or does not obey them, does not listen to them. So I want you to pause and think for just a second. Let's go back and look at this list. Jesus is paralleling two different types of people. The person that hears and does versus the person that hears and doesn't do. So I want you to stop, look at this list, and ask yourself, How much of this did you do anything with? 
And I know some of you weren't with us for all of it. Seventh graders, you obviously weren't with us when we hit the Beatitudes and Salt and Light. All right. But those of you that have been with us for all of this, or those of you that have been with us for even a couple of these, Christ issues the declaration at the end of his sermon, if you hear this and do nothing, he compares you to the foolish man who builds his house and it falls apart because of the foundation that he built it on. He chose to build it on sand. And what's interesting about it, and I'm, you know, we'll kind of discuss it later. You all know that there are parallel, um, in Scripture, there are lessons or sermons or different things that show up in different Gospels. Some of them are exclusively in only one. Some of them show up in all of them. This same narrative, this same story, shows up in Luke. And here, if you look at 26, what does it say the foolish man builds his house on? His house is built on what as a foundation? Sand. And you'll see it again later when we reference it, but... Luke's telling of this story, he says it's the man, the the parallel is actually the man who builds his house on the rock is the one who digs down through the sand to find the rock versus the man who builds his house on the sand. And if you had the same Sunday school lessons I did, or you have the same imagination I did, when you hear this narrative or this story or you sing this song in children's Sunday school about the wise man built his house on the rock and the foolish man built his house on the sand, I had the picture shown to me of the wise man built his house on the rock up on top of the cliff, and the foolish man, he's the one that built his house down on the beach. Anyone with me on that? You got the same idea? All right. That's, that's the, what was the image that's put into our mind. You need to understand from Christ's perspective and Luke's telling of this narrative or this story, that's not the case. The, literally, what could be visually put in front of you is two exact houses on the exact same place of land. The difference between the two houses is that house A, the wise man, knew, you know what, this land here, this soil here on top, that's not going to do. I've got to dig down to find bedrock to build my house on that. See, we some kind, and it's not that those people that showed us those images were trying to deceive us or anything like that, but then everything boils down to the placement of the house, right? Well, you chose a bad piece of land. Well, you shouldn't have built your house on the, you know, the coast side. You should have built your house on the, on the sound side, all right, or something like that. But that's not really the picture that we're given. The picture is these are neighbors, and one of them, when he built his house, did the hard work and dug down to find rock, all right? So with that concept in mind, Now let's think a little bit more about Christ's challenge when he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, they heard the exact same thing. The difference is, is how much work went into doing something about what it was they heard. See, he doesn't, he likens the foolish man not to the guy that doesn't build the house. He likens the foolish man to the one he built the house. But he made one critical error at the very beginning, and that ruined everything for him. So the choice is yours. The choice was up to the wise man. The choice was up to the foolish man. Both of these men hear the exact same instruction. They have heard all of the Sermon on the Mount. And they both endure the exact same storm. They're neighbors. They live near each other. The difference is, is that one man made a different choice than the other. 
And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. And you need to think about that and consider that with the choices you make in life, specifically and for, first and foremost on whether or not you're trusting in Christ. Because two students that grew up in Berean Baptist Church who went to the same university, who got the same degree, or who two students who went to Berean Baptist Church and both enlisted in the armed forces and went into the same branch of service could end up looking very different 15 years down the road. And like, why? They came from the same town. They had the same opportunities. They went to the same church. They went into the same military branch. Why are they so different? Because the foundation which they built on before they ever got into the point of forming walls, of running electrical, installing plumbing, putting a roof on, finishing the inside, before they ever got there, there was a choice that was made long ago that made every bit of difference between the two. On the exterior, these houses probably looked the same. See, we, we're spoiled by this, and we, look, we drive down the street, and sure, maybe you see houses that look similar, all right? But for the most part, in a lot of our neighborhoods, all the houses look pretty much the same, right? No, not really. Okay, oh, this one, well, this one has the peak over the garage, and this one has the peak down the center of the house, and the garage goes under it. Or this one's two stories, and this one, I mean... Just like every house is a little different. Sure, they're all generally shaped the same. They have, you know, A-framed roofs and they have shingles. Sure, I got it. But in our culture, everyone builds a little different. Well, I want to be special. I want to be unique. I want to be ours. Especially those of you, you know, um, at some point, Evelyn will get a new house. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, her family's going to build a house on, on their land out in the middle of nowhere. And that's going to be a house that's going to be distinctively built by the Torbersons. They get to pick everything out. We pick paint colors and things like that, and it's, everything's a little different. But you need to understand, in their society, in first century Judaism, in the ancient Near Eastern cultures, you, you're not picking out furnishings in your house. It's, does it have walls? Yes. Does it have a door? Yes. You're not picking out the color of the door. It's made of wood, Okay. If it is a different color, it's because you picked out a different piece of wood or you used different pieces of wood to build your door, all right? Everything looks the same because it's built of the same materials and they don't have the manufacturing that we do. They're building it out of necessity. And so these houses would have looked the same, but because they started differently, they ended differently. And I want to remind you, especially because you're at Berean, this tension, this I don't want to say strife, but this balancing, this understanding of sovereignty of God and how God reigns and rules over everything, and yet you are free to make choices. See, in this narrative, in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ is the one who came to the earth. God chose to send his son. There is nothing any of these humans did for Christ to come to them. That was all God's choice. There is nothing these people did to get Christ to say these words to them. Nothing at all. Christ is the one to proc who is proclaiming the kingdom that he is the king of. So they didn't get to choose for Christ to come. They didn't get to choose the words that Christ presented to them. But he presents the truth to them. And now it is their fault, their responsibility. What is your choice? The Son of God has presented truth to them. And now Christ is saying... Whoever does it is wise. Whoever ignores it is foolish. So let's look tonight at some lessons from the wise. 
And that is, number one, the wise obey God's word. Number two, the wise build on a sure foundation. Number three, the wise protect on all sides. And number four, the wise will withstand the storm. Verse 24 told us that the wise man obeys. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, actions are required for obedience. You need to understand you can know every single word that's in your Bible. But if it does not change into an action at some point, then it's completely useless. Those of you that were with us back when Matthew picked the uh, book of James for us to go through. Remember that, Matthew? All right. James told us that even the demons believe. So knowing knowledge is not the deciding factor. It's the action. James positions it as it's faith with works. Christ explains it as you heard what I said. Now do something about it. Because obedience relays the fact that you are wise. You know this. You do it with your parents all the time. When you choose to disobey, when you choose to not do what they want, it ends up being unwise for you, doesn't it? It ends up with a loss of privilege. It ends up with grounding. It ends up with someone yelling at you. All right? Whatever form of corrective, you know, punitive punish action there is, it ends up in something uncomfortable because you chose not to obey. Please understand, if it's the case with mom and dad, you know why it's the case with mom and dad? Because they're made, yeah. Um, because they're made in the image of God and they are reflecting their creator when the thing which they made, they place instructions and expectations on. Number two, the wise man builds on a rock. He picks his foundation carefully. Because the wise man built his house on the rock, and, and we want to ask ourselves, why a rock? James? Okay. Because compared to sand, you obviously you know which one's um, easier to maneuver. All right. I have a couple things I want to point out to you. Maybe you know this. Maybe you don't. Um, I want to compare for sake of our understanding because we don't build necessarily with rock foundations anymore. We build with concrete, which is basically manufactured rock. But in concrete, there's what's called a compression testing. All right. And we actually ran into this when our, our this new building out here was built is concrete has to be compression tested. And based upon what it's being used for, it has to be able to withstand a certain amount of pressure. Now, I'll use the term PSI. Any of you know what that is? Yeah. All right, PSI, it's, it's pounds per square inch. It's a measure of pressure. Um, every basketball, volleyball, soccer ball, football you've ever used has PSI pressure, pounds per square inch of pressure of air inside of it. It's a force applied. It's how much force puts in. Concrete is used in such a way that when they make it, they compression test it. So when we built this building out here, when the concrete trucks came to pour the footers and specifically the elevator lift um, is what we had issues with, they take a sample of the concrete and they take it off to a lab. Then they let the concrete set and then basically they put compression on it. They stick it in a machine and they squeeze it until it breaks. 
And however much pressure they have to apply to it, that's wherever that breaking point is to determines whether or not the concrete is strong enough to withhold what the stress that's going to go under it. All right, commercial co- construction, road pavement, things like that has to be at least 3,500 psi. So you need to think about the, think about this for just a second. A square inch, all right. You know what a square inch is? That's like a bite-sized Snicker bar. Okay, so that's your surface area. Now take that surface area and put 3,500 pounds, almost two tons of weight on top of that one square inch. That's the amount of pressure concrete has to take in order for it to be qualified for construction. Now, why did I bore you with that? Because the men who designed and built this facility knew if you do not build this elevator lift with enough strength to withstand this amount of pressure, it will crumble and people will die. We know that today. We call it science and engineering. We call it architecture. In Christ's day, it's wisdom. Understanding that it is just, you have to be able to withstand the pressure you're going to put on it. And we reference this already that in Luke's telling of this narrative, in verse 48 of chapter 6, he says that he, the, he is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. So why a rock? Because we know it's going to be able to withstand pressure. We know it's going to have to be able to deal with the forces that are placed on it. Because you've heard the word of God, you've listened to chapters 5, 6, and all of 7, and you know what to expect, so you start building with these things in mind. You know that you're going to deal one day with Christ saying whether or not he knew you. You know you're going to have to deal with one day, or even now, people looking at you, Christ looking at you and saying, there is no fruit, that is a dead tree. You know you're going to be judged based upon what gate you entered. You know you're going to be faced with the task on whether or not you are judging appropriately. You know you're going to be faced on whether or not you were anxious for the things of your life or whether or not you were seeking first the kingdom of God. You know whether or not you fasted appropriately, whether or not you prayed appropriately, whether or not you gave appropriately, whether or not you loved your enemies, whether or not you... you suffered from a wrong view of retaliation, whether or not you used words that were damning to your eternity, whether or not you had a wrong view of divorce, whether or not you lusted, whether or not you struggled with anger. And I can go all the way back to chapter 5 because you know those things are true. You have a responsibility to change your actions now. And if you do, Christ likens you to a wise man that builds his foundation on a rock. Now, he could have given us another illustration, but I think he's being intentional with this, and here's why. <laughs> Wait, no, not that rock. All right, yeah, not Dwayne Johnson, sorry. Let me give you two passages, and I want you to think about this. Now, I'm not saying that this is the only connection of rock. It could very well be that Christ is just using the illustration of a rock. But when we see that he's telling people, if you listen to me, you have built your life on the rock. Or a rock. Romans 9.33 says, As it is written, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. 
Why did you lay a, a rock that people are going to stumble over, a rock that's going to offend people? Oh, by the way, this isn't just a normal rock. This is a rock that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever hears these words and does them, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You're not going to be labeled as a fool. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul, recounting the deeds of the Israelites in their wandering, coming out of Egypt during the Exodus era, for those of you in my freshman Bible class, all of those people drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. There's a rock that followed them. No, no, no. It's a spiritual rock. Hey, Paul, could you tell us, what was that rock that they drank from? What's that rock that's laid in Zion for people to trip over? Oh, the rock was Christ. I do not think we're taking a big jump for us to go from Matthew chapter 7 when Christ says, who hears this, the words from me, from Christ, and acts in obedience is like a person who builds their life on the rock. And Paul tells us in two different locations that Christ is referred to as a rock. Christ understands, and he's telling them, build your life on what I have told you, on who I am. So wise people, wise men, they obey. They build on the rock, and then three, they protect on all sides. These men, the wise man and the foolish man, both receive the exact same storm. They have rains that fall, they have a river that floods, and they have wind that rages. The houses that they built were designed to protect from all of that. Please notice, in this passage, is it the rain that is credited for the destruction? Yes or no? No. It's not the rain that is the linchpin that lets it all fall apart. Is it the river that floods that causes the destruction? No, it's not the only thing. Is it the wind that rages to blow the house down with the three little pigs in it? No. What is it that is the linchpin or what is the tipping point for why this house went down? The foundation it's built on. Because wise people will build and construct and modify their lives in such a way that they know, okay, he's not credited wise because he only protected from the rain and let the wind come in. He's not credited as wise because he built walls but then allowed those walls to fill with water from the rain. He protects on all sides. You need to understand, we can, we can parallel this to salvation and our sanctification as Christians. You might be trusting in Christ for your salvation, but if that is the only step of being more like God that you have taken, you're missing some serious protective points. Because only that is not enough, because you need to understand that storms are coming. There's a reason why people parallel terrible times in life to the concept of a storm. Because it literally attacks from all sides. It's unpredictable. And so it, wise people protect on all sides. It says the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew. I thought I'd show you this because I thought it was pretty cool. Um, the reason why I, I translated it over to rain, rivers, and wind is because 
the floods, guys, we're almost done. The floods come from the rivers, but even more than that, when we look in the text and we see the word, and the floods came, the Greek word behind floods is literally potamus. All right, if you know a hippo or a hippopotamus, all right, what does hippopotamus mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a water hippo or a water horse, a river horse, okay? So, potamus that we know, hippopotamus, shh, all right? I just thought I'd point that out because I thought that was neat. I'd never heard that before, and I was like, wait. I'm like, the Greek word behind floods is the same for a hippo, all right? And then number four, withstands the storm. Wise people construct a house that will withstand the storm. Scripture tells us that the wise person, the house he built, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Hearing God's word, acting on it with a good foundation and protection of on, on all sides are all integral parts of preparing for the storm that you're going to face. You need to understand, all right, I got it. Life's pretty good right now. Even mid-pandemic, there's not really any of us that are really struggling. But when you go through a nasty divorce with your parents, when you lose a loved one, when your family PCSs to a town and you didn't want to go, when your parents lose their job or they have to close down their small business because they're not making profits, because the person that you're madly in love with doesn't want to talk to you anymore. When we deal with that, Young people, cut it out. When we deal with those things, if we do not have a foundation that was the appropriate foundation that we have built and protected ourselves for, then you're subject to all kinds of collapse within the structure of your life because you're not building on the right foundation. You need to understand, if you don't take a hard look at your life and study the book of Job, then you're really going to struggle with this question the rest of your life of why do bad things happen to good people? Because if you find yourself asking that question, why do bad things happen to good people, you do not understand your Bible. Because it takes you all of three chapters at the front of the Bible to get to the point where you learn there are no good people. God created good people and they sinned against him and everyone sins because they're descendants of those sinners. So if you have a proper understanding, then you can ask the question, why do good things happen to bad people? So an enduring foundation is built upon obeying God's word. It's built on the rock of Christ. It has protection on all sides that you understand, you know, you might be attacked physically. Seems like it's going that direction. You might be attacked emotionally. You might be attacked spiritually or mentally. You understand that it's not just one level of protection that you need to have. And you also need to understand that you need to withstand and endure the storm. The foolish person, on the other hand, they just disregard it. So let's ask, ask yourself that right now. You've been listening to me for a half hour. How much of it have you listened to? And how much of it have you ignored? 
because you're demonstrating which of those two people you are. So two people with the exact same information, the exact same resources, the exact same storm have two very different results. And we need to ask ourselves why. It's the foundation that they built on. So ask yourself, which foundation are you building your life on? Are you building your life on the fact that all you have is Christ? Or are you building your life on the fact that, you know what? Life's good. My friends like me. I'm going to go and do this for my career and make this much money. Are you counting on that? Or are you counting on Christ and Him leading you the direction that He would? I've shown you this list multiple times, and I want to show it to you again. Because the two foundations also parallel into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 to 23. The sandy foundation, that's the sexual immorality, the impurity, the sensuality, the idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. The list goes on. The foundation that is a rock, that's love and joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The difference between your foundation is whether or not you're countercultural or you're culturally accepted. The difference is whether or not you're discerning or you just blindly assume everything. Whether or not you have a biblical worldview or a worldly perspective. Do you listen to the Holy Spirit or you have no idea what He even sounds like when He's talking to you? You believe in absolute truth and it comes from God or you believe that truth is relative and depending on the situation you're in it might change. You understand that sin is what causes all the chaos. Or you think that sin is an irrelative term for the religious people. And then Jesus closes with this. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the Sermon on the Mount, our passage tonight, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching as one that had authority and not as their scribes. This sermon left people in awe, that they're like, whoa. Why? Why? Well, because he spoke with authority, not as the scribes. You don't understand this, but the scribal, the religion of the scribes is basically, well, hey, this guy said back at this point. That's why Jesus, throughout half of the sermon, said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. The scribes were all based in tradition. So Jesus speaks authoritatively. He's countercultural. He is calling out the religious leaders of the day. Okay, you need to understand Christ was not crucified because Rome was ticked off with him. It wasn't the government that was mad at Jesus. It was the religious crowd. And then number four, he expected obedience out of his authority. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have said that your word would not return void. And we're counting on that tonight in the midst of distractions, in the midst of poor choices, to be distracting, in the midst of spending our time on our phone, in the midst of talking with our friends. It is the Holy Spirit's work to call sinners to repentance. You have given them everything they need. You have created them. You have provided the price that would secure their redemption. 
And Father, it is the choice of every young person in here tonight whether or not they will build their life on you. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself, that they would make a choice that is a choice to believe, a choice that will start with a good foundation in salvation and build up in the knowledge of your word to protect against the storms that will come. We ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing, keep them safe for those who need a smack upside the head. I ask that you would give it to them. In your name we pray, amen.